<laughs> All right, you want to uh, kick us off, Justin? I can do the ad. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, in three, two, one, Pod B N is on air. We are with Eric Rankin from the Political Science Department at Illinois State University, former County Board Chair, former Democrat County. I'm sorry, former Democratic County Chair former county board member, Eric Rankin. He's been on the show before. We're going to chat with him just about everything politics. Uh, Tyson, you want to go ahead and thank our sponsor before we get going? Yes, we'd like to thank Bloom's Coffee Bar. In my opinion, best coffee in town, plus has a drive-thru. So if you want to get a nice cup of gourmet coffee with a drive-thru that has plenty of space to get through, you know, I know you've seen the Dunkin' Donuts on Oakland. It's nuts. I know you've seen the Starbucks on Washington. It's a madhouse in there. Don't even fight those lines. Go over to Bloom's. They're over um, on Tawanda, across the street from Times Past Inn, over by where the post office used to be. And they got your delicious gourmet coffee that you can drive through and grab. Let me add one thing. If, you're, if, if you want to have a little bit of an indulgence, uh, they have a maple cronut that you got to try. I tried one about a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, this is good. I need to stay away from these, or it's going to be a problem. <laughs> I actually didn't know that they had food. Yeah. So um, yeah. that's really good to know, too. Coffee yeah. and snack. I don't know if it's good or not. I mean, it's it was that good. I was like, this this going to be trouble. All right. <laughs> you're talking about Blooms, right? Not Dunkin' Donuts? That's right. Blooms. Yeah. It was okay. Blooms. No. Yeah. Although shout out to Dunkin' Donuts, I can walk there from my house, so that is very convenient. But I don't want to just hate on Dunkin' Donuts. But that drive-through, like, what is going on? It's like the end of the world over there. All it's the like time. that one. It's on the North Main too, same way. North Main and yeah. Normals is the same way. I drove by it yesterday. It was like twelve, fifteen cars deep. Yeah, I think I said one time, but my son, it was like, I think Dunkin' Donuts is in on this coronavirus thing because they're doing really well. <laughs> you imagine if people lined up at the farmers market the way that they line up at Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks. Maybe right. this will lead into our question about where our priorities are, America. Yeah. yeah. What do you been, So what have you been thinking about, Eric? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, by the way, I think that you missed uh, one of my, my lead-ins there. Uh, Tyson told me before, and I want to make sure that I'm clear on this because facts are real and they matter. Okay. Of course. That the last time I was on the most downloaded episode in PodBN history. Oh, I forget to mention that. There's... Where's my, like, do I get a belt? Do I get to walk around so I can throw it over my shoulder and, you know, kind of I'm already, and we're already sending you 5% of the profits of every episode. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how you do on this one. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of formers in there now. Everybody's like, who's this guy? I don't know. My, my dad used to tell me that the sun shines on a dog's ass every now and then. Yeah. So. Story of my life. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh, hey, yeah, there were, want to there were a lot of farmers. What, what's what's going on now, Eric? Yeah, I say nothing. Justin, what do you, what do you got? For me? Well, no, I, I was just going to say one thing that I, I want to congratulate you on that I did on social media was you just got some kind of certification, didn't you? I did. I did. Yeah, I, uh, I spent ten months, um, three hundred days. It was a program called Optimize. Um, the goal of Optimize is to take a person wherever they're at and make them better wherever they are. Uh, whether that's in business, whether that's um, a young person, whether that's an athlete, um, or whether that's just a, a mom or a dad that's wanting to be a better mom or a dad. Um, this really falls into line with what I'm looking for in the, in the second half of my life. 
um, is to serve other people and help people be better people, uh, which really does dovetail probably fairly nicely into a lot of the things that I think we're going to be talking about in the next uh, few minutes. Well, congratulations. I think it's a natural step for you. I mean, especially your time serving on the county board and in the Democratic Party and everything that you've done. Um, I think you've always brought a persona of trying to be better, um, just always trying to improve no matter where you're at, what's the next step. And I think that's a pretty awesome thing that I know you've been working towards. So congratulations. Really appreciate it. And when we're done, we'll debrief. You tell us how to be a better podcast host. You got right. it. Got it. <laughs> Don't talk about our uh, our sponsors um, competition. competition yeah. <laughs> that's what. Just negative <laughs> negative advertising. I thought that was the thing. That's that's so, the thing, right? Yeah. Go to Blooms. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Eric, I mean, you've kind of you were on the county board. Um, then you became chair, you know, you decided not to run for re-election. You became chair of the local democratic party. You did that for three years, two, two years. So you did that for two years. Not like eight. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so you've been extremely busy public service for a long time. Um, and then, you know, over this last cycle, this was like the first, uh, election cycle that you've kind of just been able to breathe a little bit and not be extremely involved. So what was that like for you and, and what kind of, how, how closely were you paying attention? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, in a lot of ways, the way that things worked out was, I don't know if I say serendipitous. Um, I guess now I'm an old school political hack these days. Um, I knew how to campaign one way. Uh, and, and it did not include the type of climate and atmosphere that was present in this last election, um, taking away a lot of the uh, a lot of the ground troops and, you know, lots of interns and people knocking on doors. And, you know, it, everything was different in this go around. So I'm, I'm really I can't tell you how pleased I am that I did not have a forward role um, in that. I was working, you know, with a, with a number of candidates, um, you know, providing advice. And I'd rather at this point in time provide advice and direction um, and be part of a team um, rather than have any direct roles. Uh, and that really is a bit, I think, problematic for a, for a number of people. The, the Dems specifically, and I can obviously only speak to the Democrats. One of the biggest fears that I had, one of the last pieces of my job before I transitioned out of being chair was to try and create the slate of Democrats that were going to run in, in that election. Um, my biggest fear uh, prior to the pandemic hitting, which was not on my radar at the time, was, all right, so we have all of these candidates, but do we have enough infrastructure to actually support them? We don't have, uh, we've got two, maybe three experienced campaign managers. We've got a couple of people who've been treasurers. Um, and then when you go from having sometimes two and three, maybe four candidates on a, you know, on a slate to having to having 12 to 13 and running multiple county wides like this, this just changed the entire dynamic. And there just really wasn't enough people to go around. And then a number of those troops, there, there weren't a lot of students here on campus. Um, they didn't feel comfortable, you know, working in a, you know, in, a, in an environment like, the, like they would have with campaigns. Um, same thing with, uh, you know, a lot of our, our older uh, members uh, of our political party. So yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I wasn't a, uh, an organizing member of that, but I still, I still stayed moderately active. I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head a little bit with the infrastructure thing. I, I had a, a conversation a week or so ago uh, with now outgoing 
uh, Democratic Party chair, uh, Nikki Richards, about the same thing. I said, you know, it, it doesn't seem like we're, uh, the Democrats are having trouble recruiting people to run anymore uh, like it used to be. Right. Yeah. Uh, but they just have zero support. And and I've talked to um, candidates that had lost um, in this last last cycle. And like you could see their frustration, like, well, I know he could have helped more. I know she could have done more. And I think that's dangerous because, like, to your point, there's only a handful of people with that kind of experience. And um, if the Democratic Party wants to continue to run that many candidates, they're going to have to build up that infrastructure of people that know how to be a campaign manager, know how to be a treasurer, know how to do data, know how to uh, recruit volunteers. Um, Because you can't just keep going back to the same people all the time because no one's getting paid for this at a local level. (laughs) So so, so if you have these people, you know, the let's say there's a half a dozen, six people that know how to do, you know, a really good countywide or, or larger campaign management. You can't keep going back to those people. One, they might not always love the candidate enough to volunteer their time to do it. Um, but, but also even if they do, it's like, it's never ending volunteerism for them, right? Like the, the no, if they have a family, if they have kids, if they have any kind of other hobby or interest, um, you can't be mad at those people for wanting to take a break sometimes. No, not at all. And and I think to further it as well is that those candidates who, you know, they got into it nine times out of 10, a candidate gets into it for the right reason, right? They, they want to make a difference. Um, they they see themselves as, as potentially being a change agent. Sometimes they have to be kind of pulled in, right? Hey, you're, you're actually, you'd be really good at this. Uh, okay. Um, and then they get there and, and they can feel a little bit on their own. Um, yeah. And the way that the, you know, our county is no different than, than every other county in the state of Illinois, as well as even nationally, there are just some districts that are not competitive. And then there are some districts that are hyper competitive. Um, and so we don't really have, you know, you know, county boards, you know, when you're looking at six and four and, and eight and 10, you know, it doesn't matter if it's an R or a D, you know, putting somebody up against Josh Barnett probably isn't going to work because, you know, 10 is a 60-40 Republican district. You know, running a, you know, running a Republican against anybody in six, um, you know, we could have put up a scarecrow in six and one. Um, and it's not, you know, that's not to take away from Hannah, right? Hannah, you know, she worked her, her butt off in, in that part of the campaign. Um, you know, it's, it's just the demographics are in your favor. And people that don't, this is, I will tell you, this is one of the biggest frustrations that I had as a chair. And I think that this this cuts across America at a you know at its very root right now. Um, data is data is a real tough thing to overcome for people. You know when you have when you have you know infectious disease experts saying, "Hey, if we wore masks and we social distance, we could we could blunt this by X." Or if you look at a person that he says, "How come you're not running a person against Darren LaHood?" Because if we ran a person against Darren LaHood, they get their ass kicked and it'll be a waste of freaking money because Darren Hood is in an extremely Republican leaning district. So every time that we spend, every time that we waste money trying to beat Darren LaHood, we lose a Jackie Gunderson running for a county board seat. We lose a rich in those areas where there actually was a possibility for those candidates to actually win. But we were focusing on the wrong things. I, I, I just I wanted to. This. I just wanted to go back to one thing, Justin. Like, I think you're being hyperbolic, saying zero support. Um, there, there is like, I mean, there were a ton of engaged people, and I helped out multiple campaigns sure. too. There were a lot of really engaged people. A lot of people put in tons of hours helping out, so there is support. But I think the the point you're making, which I agree with, is the more you spread that out, 
the harder it's going to be for anyone to be successful. Right. And then the more you're kind of going back and tapping those same group of like 20 to 30 to 50, however many they are, like those core volunteers just get hit all the time with everything. So, and that's my point. And, and, and to Eric's point, I've used this phrase, uh, a lot in the last two weeks over uh, regarding politics as we are now, uh, we make our decisions based on feelings instead of facts. And, um, I think that has everything to do with from COVID to, um, to how we run a political party to, um, volunteers. It's just, we don't look at, we don't look at data the same way we used to. If I, um, my take on campaigns after this along these lines is, well, Typically, when campaigns are getting staffed up, this is I'm realizing for the general public, this is kind of like esoteric into the weeds campaign stuff. But whatever, we're into it. So let's keep going. Um, If I'm staffing up a campaign, I feel like the one spot that people always feel like they need to get first is the treasurer. And I think the treasurer is important. My if if I was running one, I would get a volunteer coordinator first because like having a really good treasurer is not going to help you win a campaign. So yeah, you, someone's got to keep track of the money. You got to get somebody to do that. But like, if you don't have a good volunteer coordinator, then either the campaign manager or the candidate is the one having to chase all these people around trying to get them to like, Hey, you want to get together on Wednesday? How about like three o'clock? No, four o'clock. And it just, it saps so much time. And that volunteer coordinator role is so important. And to you guys point, do we have a lot of people who have, done volunteer coordination for campaigns you don't have a lot of people so. no and or know how to um to that like i i think in a perfect world and i know that that's that's stretching but the campaign manager should be like the most important role but i also think candidates um want to take on too much of that campaign manager's job. Like if I'm a candidate, I want to hire the strongest campaign manager I could find. And I want like the candidates, the product, right. (laughs) Right. And the campaign manager is the one who's getting the volunteer coordinator, getting the treasurer and moving all those pieces. The candidate itself shouldn't be at every campaign meeting. No, Uh like, like, I mean that in the campaigns, successful campaigns that I have been involved in the candidates at the meetings that they need to be at, but the campaign managers at every meeting that, you know, the, the volunteer coordinators, every meeting, the staff is at every meeting, um, making sure that the product is put in the best light possible. But if the, the candidate's job should be on what do they want to get done if they're elected and what's the best way they can communicate that that's what they should be focused on. And then the campaign manager should be talking about, all right, these are the people you need to call. These are the people you need to knock and just really micromanaging that candidate. I mean, in an ideal perfect world, that's the way it should go. But with not having enough volunteers, um, then the candidates taking on too much of the campaign manager role, if they even have a campaign manager, I know there were a couple camp campaigns, that didn't even have one because they couldn't find one. No one would, no one would take that position. So then the, the candidates doing that, their brain gets scattered, right. And they're, they're going in a hundred different directions, trying to figure out how to do everything. Um, I think that's what, so again, it's going back to just not enough volunteers that understand the role. Yeah. And and there's not even people to hire to do that. Right. So if, if, you know, if a, you know, let's say that candidate B, I'll just use her just because she's on my mind. uh, You know, if Rachel Lund needed to hire, you know, a professional campaign manager, there's not a professional campaign manager that's going to be available to her probably that's going to be able to do it on a paid basis in McLean County. So she's going to have to rely upon volunteer. And I don't mean this to be uh, as dismissive as what it's going to sound like. But volunteers are always dangerous. Absolutely. Right? Volunteers, um, while they're the lifeblood of every, you know, grassroots political organization, 
They also, when the going gets tough and things get difficult, they can they can ghost and disappear. Where if you're getting paid or you're an intern, you're you're tied, right? Your your performance and, and especially if you're a paid political operative, then your career's on the line here. And so you pick and choose battles, you know, in ways that you, you don't want to have losses. Um, and you're a professional. And volunteers are going to continue to be necessary, but volunteers for for mounting, and this is why I said with Rachel, Rachel had a really big uphill battle, right? She's sure. running in a hyper-competitive county board district, while at the same time, um, she's running against a um, a pretty long, t- I mean, the longest serving, you know, person on the county board right now um, and a person that's had, you know, lots of coaching jobs here. He had a really big popular personality and Rachel's a transplant to the community. So she had to do a lot of extra work to establish her name where he already had that hell is yard signs all over town. They say Coach Mac, right? Um, when you go by a nickname, that usually says something pretty good for for your name recognition. And Rachel had a – I thought she did amazing in terms of her outcome based upon running against probably one of the more popular Republican campaign, um, you know, uh, you know, Republican officials and one that really doesn't have a lot of negativity. I mean, most people don't know much about the county board. I can say that definitively as being on the county board. Um, you know, when I'd knock on a door, you know, the first thing I'd have to explain what county board was and I'd walk away from the door and go, did I even tell him my damn name? Um, yeah. or did I just explained to them county structure. Um, can you stop my neighbor's dog from barking? Um, no, I just, but, <laughs> but I just want to clarify though, you, you use that race actually, um, Rachel's campaign manager, I won't call her out by name, but she was absolutely amazing she was very very effective your, your point it, just to make sure i understand your point it's not like any individual person or that a volunteer is not going to be good at it it's no. just that you can't rely on that quality right yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and it, definitely yeah. and there are some i, I mean I, I had a volunteer campaign manager and was awesome right mm-hmm. i mean so you can't it's just a lot harder to do that it's it's really really difficult to pull those things off but that's at the local level and let's be honest here in McLean County, and, and I will say this, I'm sure this won't make a lot of people, especially on the opposite side of the aisle, really happy. Um, they don't really have to do much work. Um, you know, the let's use case in point. Um, the auditor um, got elected and did, I mean, if there's nothing, there's got to be something that's less than nothing. And that's the amount of work that she did. Didn't raise a dollar, didn't spend a dollar, didn't go out and campaign, um, didn't put up any yard signs, didn't ask for a single vote, didn't take a single forum, didn't talk to anybody, didn't have a Facebook page. I mean, literally did zero. And people went, I like that person. And you gave her your vote. You gave somebody a vote and they didn't even bother to ask you for it. Shame on you, McLean County, for doing something of that nature. Rob Fazzini may not have been your your cup of tea. He may not have been something that you love, but he was working. He was he was engaged in the democratic process. He was asking for your vote. He was telling you he wanted to do this job. And he was telling you not only that, that he wanted to take this job and eliminate it and give money back to the taxpayers. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that I don't want to hear any Republicans give me any sort of garbage about, well, we want to see less tax dollars being spent. You had an opportunity to have a guy that would reduce the size of government and have less spending. And you you picked the other person who did nothing. Great job. Awesome work. So 
tell us how you really feel. I always I, love talking I, to you, Eric. I, the last time you were on, somebody accused me of like broing out too much. You're just fun to talk to, Eric. Oh, thanks. Um, I, I do want to emphasize though, the, the, what I'm talking about and what Justin's talking about too, like where this is, this is true for municipal campaigns as well. This is true for mayor. This is true for all <laughs> Um, this is true for Republicans. Like, Quite honestly, is, I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm talking to a person right now that's, that's interested in running for Congress and same issues there. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's the exact same issues on a lot larger scale, obviously. Um, but exact same issues we're talking about. Yeah. So speaking of races, Eric, um, you had to drop out yeah. of yours. Um, I didn't have a chance to, to hear the story about that. Is there any details you'd be willing to share on what, how that was brought about? I'll tell you, I mean, it's, it's an open book. Um, when I chose to run, um, I, I had decided to, I mean, it was something I was deeply interested in. Um, I have, I have, uh, interest in the office. Um, I think, you know, knock on wood, I feel like I probably could have been successful. Who knows? Uh, the numbers probably don't bear that out, but you never know. Um, but something, I'll tell you, something happened during the end of my chair experience. Um, and s- I don't know if I want to say something broke inside me, um, but politics, pol- I'd spent the entire part of my entire professional career, whether that's been a decade on the county board as an elected official. And that didn't include, you know, the, the year beforehand when I'm running and, and, and defeating a, a democratic incumbent that, you know, the, the two years that I was party chair uh, and all the success that we saw there um, in creating an infrastructure and a, and a design that, that was, uh, that was sorely uh, needed, but it felt, it felt that a number of, people were not interested in serving others and that they were interested in serving themselves. And the longer that I sat in that, the longer that I listened to petty squabbles, the longer that I sat and I listened to and, 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 and attempting to please so many people in so many different constituencies and to, you'd make one right decision and the other half of the people think that you're evil and you're amoral and you're terrible. You know, I started to really think that, and I, I know it's this is going to be probably weird to hear. I think politics isn't the answer anymore. It's not to me. It's, and I, I'm not ready to say that government and politics is part of the problem. No, I didn't all of a sudden become a Reaganite over, you know, um, um, over dinner. Um, but doing an audit of my time, doing an audit of my energy and where I wanted to see where I could make changes, this country, this state, this community, way too often, we try and treat symptoms rather than underlying causes. And until we fix these underlying root causes, fixing the symptoms aren't going to, you know, it's never going to do anything rather than put a Band-Aid on things. And And the problem is, is that our government, as designed, we the people, it's we the people that are broken. We are hateful. We are short-sighted. We are egotistical and self-centered. And I'm not certain that that actually is true, that all people are like that. 
But the ones that have typically decided to get in the game of politics, they seem to be the worst offenders. Now, then there's, there's a handful of really awesome actors that are in it for the right reason, that they want to see good happen in the world. They want to see change. They want to be honest brokers of truth and they want to help people. But they get ripped on, torn down and destroyed so quickly because the default setting of these people is that they're the center of the universe and everything revolves around them. They don't think about others. And because of that, it's, well, what are you going to do for me? It's the same people who would scream and yell, well, we need to have, you know, we need to have more people on a ballot. Cool. And then when they get more people on the ballot, they don't come out and support them or they don't come out and volunteer to work on a campaign or they don't decide to donate money. They want to do the very least to start the ball rolling and then they don't follow through. We have, I can't even do it in this town. I am broken on social media. I am broken on what it is that we see. It is amoral. These individuals, and this is a pox on both your houses. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, And I have been complicit in that sometimes of posting stupid things, which you don't see very often anymore for me because I find social media to be one of the worst um, negative dialogues that exist in our country. And that negative dialogue starts and ends because we're having the same negative dialogues in here. Each of us are broken. We can't expect that our politics, which is supposed to be a reflection of we the people and our will, we can't expect it to be a good thing when we're not a good thing. We tell ourselves that we're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're not fast enough. We're not strong enough. We're not whatever enough. I'm not a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough daughter or a brother. And Because of that, we start to, this triggers like really unkind words that people say, these judgments um, that we use about each other. I mean, I'm, I think all of us have become exhausted, Um, but I don't want to write people off. And that's the part that kind of scares me because politics is supposed to be hopeful, right? I got into it because I was hopeful about it. I saw that there was a direction that we could move. We could go, hey, man, we can make our community better. And I want to see people in politics own their failures, to be honest with people, to be, hey, listen, we kind of screwed up here. We can do better for you. Imagine a political candidate, if you would, that would step forward and say, hey, I want to level with you. I'm not going to be the best person in the world for this job, but I am the person that's put my name on the ballot. And I am the person who wants to do work for you. I'm gonna make some mistakes. I'm gonna ask that you hold me accountable, but I would hope that you would hold me accountable with the same amount of respect that you would hold for your children. Love, and it's the thing that we're missing, right? That love. But, but, but even if someone were to do that, Eric, they'd get shit on so quickly. Um, I mean, Barack Obama's Senate campaign yes. was around that, right? Yep. It, it I worked around, on it. Yeah, that's what I mean. When he ran for Senate, that's what it was. And that's what projected him to be a front runner for the presidency. Without a doubt. But, I mean, how quickly did that turn, right? And, and Justin, and I think that that feeds into what I said before. We, in order to serve 
others, we have to first serve ourselves. We have to be able to like ourselves, to be open and honest and caring, and um, to be able to, you know, if we ask each person, what do you think you're capable of being? And then where do you find yourself right now? I think that most of us probably would give some sort of an answer that's like, well, here's where I'm at. Here's what I think I'm capable of being. Until we start to close that gap, I think that we're gonna, I think that we're gonna be in a lot of trouble. Um, we're watching our country. Um, it's not falling apart, but it certainly is. I mean, there is no argument that we are not connected. Our country is not happy. People are, they do not trust in government. They do not trust in, in organ, they've left organizations. Look at, I mean, Robert Putnam wrote, you know, years ago, the book, uh, uh, um, oh my God, why is it uh, Bowling, Bowling Alone? Uh, I think it was uh, early part of 2000s, late 1990s. And in it, he was doing some research on it. And he said that, you know, uh, people still bowl, but they don't join bowling leagues anymore, right? So activities happening, but we're seeing less groups. We're seeing less efficacy. We're seeing less people come together as teams and, and accepting the fact that not everybody's the same, right? We, we're, we're, we're expecting our groups to be these homogenized, you know, versions of the reality. And if, you know, if Tyson and Eric and, and uh, Justin, if Tyson starts acting a little weird, we're just going to have to excommunicate him because he's not kind of part of the team anymore because he's starting to think a little different than everybody else. And the danger of doing that as A, as political parties and, and B, as states, as communities and countries, like this is a problem. The root, right, of us is that we are 50 states in a union. But the more important word in our country is united. But it's what we're not, right? I don't know if the, the fractured states sounds more, you know, it might be a little bit more direct. Um, but it, it's, we don't like each other. And not only do we not like each other, like it gets down to a part where we downright loathe each other. In the state of Illinois, even one local elected official has put a bill on the floor of the Illinois legislature to cut Chicago out of the state. I don't know about you, but that doesn't send a real great message to the people of Chicago that, hey, we're all in this together. Yeah, we hate Chicago. You should get out. What? Chicago's is part of Illinois as it comes. We're a team. We have to figure, it's a sink or swim sort of an idea. We have got to figure out how to love one another and move forward together. But we don't do that. We don't take the time to do that. I, when you're talking through that, um, I mean, I bring up strong towns all the time, so I'll do it again. Because sure. it really shapes a lot of my thinking about fight. these. <laughs> he, the, their big thing is about like doing what's within your power. So Chuck Marone, um, he sent out a, a email the day after the election. We still didn't know who it was. And it really just struck me very, very deeply. And he, this, the gist of it was probably a lot of you out there are very anxious right now. You're very upset. You put a lot of energy into these things. You really want to know how the presidential election 
shapes up. What I ask you to do is think about why that is. What's that issue, that one issue more than anything other that's important to you? And I guarantee you there's a local analogy to that. There's something in your neighborhood that you can try to do to try to make that thing a little bit better. And your time spent making that one thing better locally is going to go a lot further than trying to change the national scene. And that on the one hand, it seems you could take that as discouraging, right? It's like, Oh, well, there's all these important things. You're supposed to ignore them. Like, well, no, maybe I'm concerned about the environment. Okay. Well, while I'm waiting for climate change legislation, I can go pick out some trash, right? Like I can pick up pieces of trash from my neighborhood. Yeah. And is that going to solve the problem? No, not that problem, but I'm doing something. And to your point, you audit your time, right? Okay. So I'm going to spend my time. Did I actually accomplish anything with my time? And the more local you do it, the more likely your time is actually going to have a benefit to it. I I couldn't agree more with you. I got into the same argument with somebody they were, you know, we were having, this was over this summer and, you know, that was, was surrounding, you know, issues of race and racism because we were, you know, we were dealing with the fairly immediate aftermath of the George Floyd situation. Um, and people were pissed. And I said, well, yeah, what are you doing? Well, I, what do you mean? I said, well, what? Are, you're angry. I mean, I, a protest. I mean, I don't know if the protest is the best solution to it. Did you, have you donated to a group? Have you attended an NAACP meeting, a Black Lives Matter meeting? Have you, what are you doing? Uh, well, I, and sometimes it's just a, I'm mad, but I don't know what to do. Well, not to pat ourselves on the back, but that, that same conversation actually happened on this podcast. And Justin and I were like, maybe we should talk to some folks from Black Lives Matter to try to see, like, so yeah. we can understand more and we can I try had, to help them share their views, you know. This it's, summer, that when that experience happened, uh, a local gym here in town, uh, a good friend of mine, Chad Hobbs, was able to bring together um, police officers from the town of Normal, um, was able to bring together um, lots of uh, uh, Black activists, Black business owners here in town. Um, and, other, and we sat down and we just had a conversation. It was 40, 50 of us. We were broken up into different groups. There were some state farm executives. There was just some, you know, uh, people that had worked at Rivian. Um, and we just had conversations about race. Um, and in a lot of cases, it was just a, let's sit and listen. Um, I'm a, you know, I, I knew at the time, this is an area where I, I feel some anxiety because I don't understand what it's like to be a person of color. I can have empathy, but I need to hear from other people I know that this stuff is going on. So what can we do to make a difference? How can I donate some money to some organizations? How can I show up? How can I put my name on, uh, on petitions? How can we do some work to do these things? But I think that that's where it comes back to. I, th- I love what you said. I actually talked about this in one of my classes here not too long ago. Um, what can you do, right? Every day, we should probably ask ourselves two very central questions. What's one thing that I could start doing today that would help me close that gap, right, uh, of, of where I want to be versus where I'm at right now? And what's one thing I can stop doing? It doesn't need to be groundbreaking, right? It doesn't need to be, you know, it doesn't need, I need to quit my job and go, you know, go work at a, you know, at the at, be a trainer you know, instead of a corporate of office. I don't, I don't need to do something like that, right? Um, but, um, but maybe it's, you know, maybe I'm going to s- before I post something on social media, I'm going to send it to a friend to have them look it over to tell me whether or not it's a good thing to post. 
Um, or maybe I'm just going to stop using social media altogether. I'm still going to be connected and active in the community. I'm still going to help other people, but maybe this isn't a great outlet for me. Take stock of the things that are making you happy. So that's unfortunate. What I had to do with politics is that I started to realize that it just wasn't making me happy anymore. Um, and actually not only was it not making me happy, it was making me sad. It was, it was causing me great stress. Now, that doesn't mean that I've given up caring about other people. It doesn't mean that I've stopped caring about the environment. It doesn't mean that I've stopped caring about education um, and activism. Those are things that I still, you know, that I am still doing. It's just, it's not going to be from, uh, you know, an elected position anymore. It's not going to be from putting my name on a ballot. And, and, you know, I think that you could probably turn around and say, well, Rankin, isn't this the problem, Mike? Maybe you'll blow smoke up my butt and say, you're a good one. You should be out there. You're right. But this system is corrupting good people. What, whether it was direct or just uh, how you perceived it, how much crap, for lack of a better word, did you take when you just kind of stepped away? Um, you know, honestly, the, <laughs> the people that cared about me were actually super happy or you know, not happy that I was leaving. They were like, Listen, I know that this is good for you. We're really a little nervous. And I think some of it was good from the sense is that I think uh, people that supported me then naturally supported Nikita. Nikita and I are very good friends, uh, very good allies. So I think that that kind of dovetailed really nicely. If you hated my guts, then you were more than tickled for me to disappear. Um, and I'm, there were plenty of people that were out there, even in my own party, that were happy for me to go away. What I, what I was more alluding to was uh, kind of tying together what we talked about earlier. There not being enough people out there to support and help. And then here is Eric Rankin, such a, uh, you know, historically influential pers- person in our local politics, yeah. who's now saying he's stepping away. Like, what do you mean? We need your help, Eric. What are you doing? Like, was there any of that kind of... I think your campaign manager became Fazzini's campaign he manager, did. if I remember he properly. Did. He did. So, so reallocation resources, right? Uh, <laughs> I, I worked really hard to take every person that was pledged to work on my campaign and turn them to other campaigns. Um, you know, I took the, some of the some of the funds that I had raised and I gave it to other candidates. Um, th- that was the you know, I and, and I like I I still I still worked to help other people, but I stepping away. Um, you know, I think most people understand. It was funny when I, when I said that I wasn't going to run, I really didn't get anybody to go, wait, what, why? It was, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah we get it. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I understand. Like, and I, and I think a lot of that was, it was funny when I told Nikita, when she first said that she was interested in running, um, and I gave us, I gave a, a, a lecture to the, uh, statewide college Democrats, um, a couple years ago. They asked me to come in and speak to what is it? What is it like to be a party chair? And so I said, "All right, well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's three parts." I said, "You've got to be a cheerleader, you've got to be a firefighter, and you got to be a psychologist." Um, uh, I was a college cheerleader, so I was fully prepared for that role. All right, I had that down. I could, I could be the number one cheerleader for the party. Um, firefighter. I wasn't aware that there were going to be so many fires. I wasn't aware that there, I, I really, maybe it was just blissful ignorance. We went from the, the local Democrats. Some people will get this. Other people will not. Um, even most of the people that are in the party now, this, this growth was exponential. Donald Trump really was the gas that just kind of blew up the party. We had been kind of run by a core group of people, the Betty Kinzers, the Mike Matikas, the John Whalens, the John Penns, 
um, uh, the Dorothy Deanies for a very long time. It was a small, devoted group. I used to, I, mean, I said, I, I had been to county or party meetings where there were five of us. Um, you know, we used to joke, George Gordon would say that, you know, we could all fit in the phone booth, um, which also dated George Gordon whenever he said <laughs> phone booth. Um, but, but we, we, we really, you know, everything when Trump got elected, I mean, it just this exponential growth. And so people didn't realize that all of these structures that were put into place, most of them were brand new. Um, I relied a lot on John Penn to help me out. Um, you know, he, he did, he had great contacts for me. Uh, Mike Matico was instrumental in getting things started in the beginning. Uh, but then there was just a lot of stuff that they just had never even done because they didn't have, you know, 200 to 300 people that were coming to party meetings. And what do I need to do? Where do I need to go? How do we need to do this? What's going to happen here? Gee, right. Um, and so a lot of that was just us making it up on the fly. And we did a really good job. Um, well, and also not just new people, but also different demographics and people yeah. who can't coming from different walks of life who right. haven't, hadn't been active in the party before. Right. You got it. You got it. And there were, at the same time when the party was undergoing a massive amount of change as well, we had a new, you know, gubernatorial candidates, you know, the Dems were, um, you know, the, the Dems, you know, have, have, have had some structural problems, you know, fine in the city of Chicago, but outside the city of Chicago, there's always been that the Dems have just kind of been, you know, Peoria has gotten some attention and Champaign's got a little bit of attention, but now we're starting to see, right, places even like McLean County. Um, we've got a daunting future here, but I, I still, at the end of the day, one of the things that always motivated me to be a, a candidate and to be a chair of a party was that people in this county deserve a choice. They deserve a choice. When you go to vote, um, you should be able to pick between candidate A, candidate B. I wish it was candidate C and D as well. Uh, it's going to be in the municipals. Um, but that you should have choice. It used to be when I, when I first started voting as an 18-year-old here in 1995, um, on, you know, at Illinois State University, the vast majority of candidates when we walked in, there was no choice. I mean, it was, oh, Dan Brady's on the ballot again. Oh, um, you know, Bill Brady's on the ballot again. I mean, it was just always the same people and nobody ever ran against anybody. Um, there was always little one-offs here and there, but for the most part, you know, you put an R next to your name and, and you're going to be successful. One of the things that still hasn't changed, and I'm sure Tyson would back me up here, is that while while McLean County has um, Bloomington Normal has its stripes of light blue to it, uh, the county is deep, deep red, and and that the only way that a Democrat can really be successful is to kind of blunt the blood letting that happens in the county and really try and run up the score as much as you possibly can in Bloomington and normal. And that's, it's tough to do. I mean, this was this outcome of this election. I mean, I remember sitting, you know, the next morning I go into class or actually it was Thursday morning when I went into class and students were like, all right, unpackage it for me. Like, tell me what happened in McLean County. And I'm like, I don't understand. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, <laughs> Biden carries McLean County, but Dems just kind of have an okay night in McLean County. Not only an okay night, but it was actually across the country. Dems, I mean, okay is about as good as it gets. Like, honestly, the Dems should be disappointed with, with the outcome of this election outside of the election of Joe Biden. Um, they, they were projected on almost every poll to take the Senate. 
Um, you know, they're projected to widen their margin in the house, right? You almost saw Sherry Bustos lose. Are you kidding me? She was double digit in previous elections. And now she's, you know, now she was fighting for her life. Lauren Underwood literally coming out with, by the skin of her teeth. Um, Gosh, I mean, and then Betsy Dirksen Lonergan's, you know, loss was. That was really surprising to me. I, if I was going to think, if I was going to try to put my money on any like upset or big change, that that would have been the one. I felt like that was 50, 50. And the fact that she lost by more than she lost before was just shocking to me. Yeah, it was. a So that's where I, you know, I, I, I don't really know how to unpackage this election. It was bizarre. It was re- it was just like 2020. It's just mind-numbingly weird. Um, and sometimes I think 2020 is going to literally be just the year that all of us try to survive. Knock on One of the things I thought was so unfortunate about coronavirus going on this election season is that candidates couldn't come and try to make that individual yeah. connection with people. Because yeah. that's the that to me is like the beauty and what's really attracts me about local races is you can meet the candidate and you can have that conversation with somebody. Um, I was talking to somebody who was just trying to get someone to sign his petition and they were like, what party are you? And he said the wrong answer. And they were like, no way I'm signing your petition. And he sat there with them and talked to them for 20 minutes about like what they believe and what he believes. And eventually they signed his petition and um, you know, advice for any candidates probably not worth 20 minutes for one petition signature. But the point, is like you can actually have that conversation and make that connection and help people see like hmm even though in general our letters don't align like you seem like a good guy and i'm willing to give you a shot you know with with coronavirus it's just you can't do that and so you're just people go into their their camps you know it's i think think you can do that but it was it's too new i mean this this environment like i think if if this same environment were to happen two, three, four more times, then yes, we can figure out how to how to do it. It was just such an Let's anomaly. Not do that. And it, yeah, I didn't know it. <laughs> um, it was just such an anomaly that it, it just didn't lend itself to great constituent, you know, connection. They're just you're right, Tyson. They're just, it's just not enough to it, and especially at the local level. That's what you know. That's what makes us special is that, and I, I, man, I pitch this in my classes all the time. I said, listen, go on the County board website. I said, if you want to challenge me on this hundred and you know, 300 students in my political science, one Oh six class, you'll find the phone number for one of the candidates um, or their email address um, on the County board webpage, send them a message. Guess what? You're probably going to get back. You're going to get an email from them. You're going to get a phone call from them right? That is the important part. If you call your congressman's office, they ain't calling you, right? They're, they're not. You might get a form letter in the mail that's been, you know, it's, there's no connection there. Um, and so losing that is really unfortunate for a whole lot of reasons. Sorry, Justin. No, no, you're, you're fine. You're fine. I was just going to go back to um, what kind of a little bit of what Tyson was saying one of the things I beat my head against the wall, and I say that because I know I'm not going to change anything, but I can't help myself but to try, is how little political parties have to do with local government. Uh, like, I, you know, in, lo- in a local level, now, I don't, I don't think anybody that follows me on Facebook or has had a more than a five-minute conversation with me will 
you know, be surprised when I say I vote Democrat in almost every national um, election since since I've been uh, able to vote. But on a local level, um, it's been a pretty darn good mix. Yeah. And, and it has been because it, on a local issues, it just matters so little on. I mean, everybody kind of wants the same darn thing. We just have different ways of going about getting it. Um, again, I'm beating my head against the wall because as soon as someone hears that, you know, whatever, I, I, I voted for uh, Dick Durbin. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, they, they don't they think that and I care about their local tax dollars being spent yep. in a efficient manner. So. Yep. And you can meet the people and you can see what their motivation is, right? You can see if they're coming from a place of service, if they're coming from a place of integrity. And I mean, even if you, even if you don't agree with their policy solution, right, you might meet both candidates and you're like, you know what, like this person's saying a policy solution that's kind of more like what I want, but I don't know that they really have the, like, I don't know that they're really doing that for the right reasons or that they're going to be able to sustain that. And I like my assessment of their character is such that like, I'm going to kind of vote for more for the person who I feel like is, is doing it for the right reasons. And, um, you know, especially with city elections, when it's by ward, you know, that's, those things are just a few hundred votes. Right. And the candidates are having those individual conversations with people. Mm -hmm. Um, Justin, I'm, I'm just like you too. Like I, I, and I'll say this publicly. I don't know if I've ever said this public. I've never voted straight party in my life, not in a general election. Never. There's always now some of those have been, okay, I voted for this person because there was nobody else running against them. Um, but to me, for me, I, I, th- that's still a, I'm casting an affirmative for a person that is not in the political party that I was connected to. Um, yeah. I have actually, I've been happy to vote against some Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, I was Absolutely. happy to vote for Rich Whitney um, when he ran against Rod Blagojevich. Um, I, I thought Rod Blagojevich was a piece of crap the second time, right? You can fool me once, but you weren't going to catch me the second time. Um, but I, I think that there are times where, uh, and I used to get uh, some real hard times about Adam Kinzinger. You know, people would be like, how he is, rah, rah. I'm like, dude, I grew up with him. He's one of my good friends. Like, I don't, I don't understand. I got a lot of crap when one of my best friends, um, my campaign manager, Andrew Matthews, uh, ran against Chris Coos uh, years ago. I think that was 2010, not eight, seven, seven, nine, nine, 2009. <sighs> Corona. Um, but it, it, you know, I really like, there are other people like, how could you do that to the mayor? Like it had nothing to do with the mayor. I, that's that's a point. Like it doesn't also mean on a local level, um, right. and it means it on a national level probably too. But it doesn't mean that people you're not supporting are bad people. Totally right. Like yeah, like I mean, it, it, they can be a very good person. They can yeah. they can be a friend. Um, yeah. You know, like I had this conversation. Uh, I think it was with our friend Patrick um, a couple of weeks ago. It's like, you know, I I like them. They're good people. Um, yeah. I'm never gonna vote for them. Because, because ideologically we don't agree, but like I've, I've served, I've served food along with them at, at the mission. You know, I've, I've done things with them at the food bank. Like they are good people. Um, but it does not mean that I'm going to vote for them. And I think that's okay to be able to say out loud. I don't have to hate the person that's going against my person. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know that this is, it's not always popular. I got some, I got some weird looks. Um, I kind of wish Carlo was still around to, to have, you know, to jump into this conversation. One of the things that he thought was weird when he first came onto the county board was, is that, you know, a lot of times after some, uh, you know, county board executive committee meetings is that we'd walk over to Rosie's afterwards and it would be 
you know, there, there'd be a couple of county board members. Um, and then it was usually like four or five Republicans and me, you know, and they would all joke around that, uh, you know, Rankin's the token, like who let the Democrat in here? And we were joking about it. But developing those relationships and those friendships when the solid waste, you know, plan came around and I needed to whip people to 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 come to our side of the aisle. There were some Republicans that crossed the aisle because of relationships that had been developed at a personal level rather than on a political level. And mm. at the end of the day, while we will not always agree on a lot of issues, they breathe the same air, they eat the same foods, they love their kids, they go to church. We have to find ways to work with people. And I think that that's part of the thing that drives me so insane. I mean, I, I'm, I'm committed to, listen, I'm, I'm as committed to progressive ideals as they come. Um, I, you know, I, I certainly believe in, you know, if someone were to pin me down, yeah, man, I'm going Medicare for all right here, right now. I'd be, you know, I hate the freaking healthcare system. You want to talk about treating symptoms and not underlying causes. Um, yeah. You know, I could sit here and go all day long on that. I agree with tons of things that I hear come out of uh, Bernie Sanders, um, you know, campaign. But at the same time, too, is that we have to be humble and realize that sometimes Justin's a great example of this, right? Both of us are, are, are into fitness. Um, if a person comes and says, yeah, I want to lose some weight. All right, cool. How much you want to lose? I want to lose 40 pounds. Awesome. When do you want to lose 40 pounds? Two months. Yeah, cool. Cut off your left leg. Yeah, cut off your leg. Because <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't work like that, right? I mean, we can't make, though we want the change to be instantaneous, change that is instantaneous almost always becomes problematic. Almost yeah. always. Systems cannot handle mass changes. It's just, it's, it's the absolute antithesis of, um, of systemic thinking. Well, and systems of all kinds have mechanisms in place to to fight back against big changes, right? You, you they bring you back into a stasis, and it's that gradual, iterative uh, movement towards a goal that really is the only way. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's not the only way. Right. It is the most typical way that change occurs. And it's understandable if you're a person of color and you're experiencing systemic racism, I don't want to wait for 30 years for things to get better. I want it to get better now. So I also understand that that's the cry that people have. What are we going to do now? But what they're really saying is I don't see anybody making any change. Right. I think uh, we need those people, right? We yeah. need those extreme people because they're the ones that challenge us to do better. Um, yeah, but but we also have to be pragmatic about it also. Correct. And, yeah. and, and again, what we've seen is, is that when people come with very change right now attitudes, there is always the backlash. And that backlash can sometimes be so counterproductive. I listened to this morning on Meet the Press when Chuck Todd comes out and asks Joe Manchin, who now all of a sudden is the Democrat, um, cause he may be like, you know, if the Dems can, you know, not crap on themselves in Georgia, um, you know, they could actually t hit a 50, 50 tie. Really people are like, Oh, Kamala becomes so powerful. But like no Joe Manchin becomes super powerful. Right. So this is a very swing, you know, the swingiest of, uh, of senators and Manchin says, you know, one of the things we have to do better as a democratic party, we can't say defund the police. And I'm like, 
Yes, but Joe, when you say that, right, there's going to be on the flip side, there's going to be, yes, we do. And then there's no, we don't. Neither are winning strategies, right? <laughs> right? Because what we're doing now, hey, look, ain't working. What you're suggesting probably isn't, probably isn't very realistic either. But man, nobody wants to talk about the middle way. Nobody wants to do it. And that's the part that I think bothers me more than anything else. Um, you know, I like that Tyson used the word, you know, that, you know, finding that homeostasis is really important. I mean, that balance that we're all looking for, not just in our life, but we have to, we have to get comfortable in our conflict. I mean, and conflict is okay, but we don't have to be so mean-spirited one another. And, and we are so mean. Speaking specifically Sorry. to the Democratic Party, the I mean, we're still the party of JFK in so many districts, sure. right? <laughs> like, and that's okay. Like, like, like what we were we were talking earlier. Uh, I think before we went before we started recording about not not eating Democrats eating other Democrats, right? Yeah. It, it's it can't happen if you want progress. I mean, challenging ideas is good. That's that's what the system's built on. Um, but but you have to be able to understand that if someone's willing to listen to you, that's better than the other party not willing to listen to you. Yes. Uh, you know, it, pushing policies that don't reflect our big tents only going to make our tents smaller. Yeah. So. Well, and and I think that I was just talking to someone the other day. Um, this kind of talk, it kind of targets with how a lot of us think as well. Uh, great author. I don't know if any of you have, or either of you have read Jay Shetty. Um, he wrote a book, uh, how to think like a monk. Um, he was this, uh, you know, uh, Ivy league, I think Oxford, sorry, not Ivy league. Maybe it was Oxford. Um, trained business guy that basically dropped his, you know, dropped his suit and joined a, an ashram and uh, became a monk. Um, and then once he, once he left being a monk, he kind of took the, a lot of the ideas out of what it is that he learned from being a monk back into the, the real world, whatever that is. Um, but one of the things that he talks about is something that's really popular in a lot of self-help literature um, and, and especially in Buddhism um, is this idea of the monkey mind, right? And uh, the monkey mind, you know, if you think of it, we, we try to live lives that are less anxious. Uh, we want to be more purposeful and we want to improve our focus. We want to improve our relationships. We want to have a more meaningful life. But if you've ever, you know, I don't know if either of the two of you have ever sat down and attempted to meditate. But the right. Second, right, the second that you sit down and try and be quiet, boom, the monkey that's inside your mind starts leaping all over the place. Mm -hmm. It's really hard, right? Because our, our minds naturally go into this default, this autopilot, this default setting thinking. Um, and it, it, it gets really hard to be present. It gets really hard to, to gain awareness. And that seems to be at a social level what we're also missing is that we're so, we're so strung up into, right? If you ask a person, um, would you rather be happy or would you rather watch TV? And they go, well, I'd rather be happy. Then how come you spend so much time focusing on watching TV? <laughs> and they go, oh. I said, so we're, we do the very things that we're not necessarily interested in. If we... I'm not convinced, and this is why I've turned away from politics, I'm not convinced that people want unity. I think that there's a handful of people that do. Um, and so for the time being, my new job um, in my brain 
um, is something that uh, you, you probably read um, New York Times uh, author uh, David Brooks before, right? Uh, uh, in really interesting voice. Used to be uh, used to be a conservative, uh, and somehow Trump has made him a, a leftist. I don't know how that happened. You know, if you had told me years ago that I'd be agreeing with David Brooks, I would have been like, "What the hell?" According um, to McLean County, a lot of people are like that. Right, you're right. Uh, but David Brooks says is that there's the there's the first there's the first mountain of your life. And then there's the second mountain of your life. And that first mountain is all about building resumes. It's about doing these things. It's about a lot of the kind of self-serving, you know, focuses. And the second mountain of your life is how can you live in service to others? How can we find ways to connect to other people? And how can I help people, right? Think rationally about where they're at. Um, Should you run for public office? Should I start a business? Um, Should I, you know, should I have kids? Um, and maybe we need to just kind of stop and think about our own lives and maybe not be distracted by all of the negative it is that we hear in the world. And there's a lot of negative that's out there. The, the bad part is, is that there's, there's so much more positive, but it's a lot like, I'm sure you've heard the analogy before, right? That there's, if you've ever been in an airplane and it's freaking gross and raining outside, but all of a sudden you fly through the clouds and holy crap, look, it's blue skies up here. The blue skies are always there. We are allowing ourselves to focus on the dark and cloudy, the, the, the lightning and the rain. And if we can't stop looking at all this, all the crap that destroys us rather than the stuff that unites us, I don't know how we're going to move forward. Well, I also think when you, like, what are you doing when you're looking at that negative stuff, right? Because you don't want to just be Pollyanna and ignore it. No. You got to look at the negatives, but then what, what's your conclusion? And I feel so often the conclusion that people reach and it's given to us by our media and of our politician is that, Oh, well, someone else is responsible for fixing that. Like yep. you just got to vote for the right person. And then like, then racism will be over or you got to vote for the right person. And then our taxes will be lower and our pensions will be properly funded. Or, you know, like there, there's something else that's going on that is out of your control that you just got to wait for it to come along. Yeah. And again, if you're, you got to be a person of, you got to be above those clouds, right? Where you can be clear headed. But then also when you see that, you're like, okay, what's actually, <laughs> what's my role in this? Like, what can I do to make that thing a little bit, a little bit worse, a little bit better than what it is right now and not wait for a white knight to come in and save me? Without a doubt. And Tyson, I, it's funny, I, I, I wrote a, I wrote a piece uh, recently, um, two pieces, but the one that um, I just, it hasn't been published yet. Um, we were talking about, uh, you know, the Mandalorian. I don't know how many of you, you know, or how many of the listeners, I'm a giant Star Wars nerd, love me, the Mandalorian. I heard that the Baby Yoda was named and it was not a popular name. Yeah, this it wasn't is... a popular name. We'll, yes. we'll, spoiler alert, we won't go yeah. there. We'll move on uh, with that one. Yeah. But, but the, the mantra of the Mandalorians is they, they it's, this, it's this group of people, um, and they always repeat, they say, this is the way. This is the way. Um, and so my piece was, the Mandalorian's wrong. Uh, there is no, this is the way. Um, we have to make sure that this is a country that appreciates the idiosyncrasy, you know, or the idiosyncratic values that we all have. There are many different pathways to get to the places that we want to be. If we have a goal, there's not just one line that gets us here. Sometimes, you know, it's going to take us in a zigzaggy pattern before we before it is that we get to our goal. Most of the time, not sometimes. Yeah, most of the time, right? Um, and that's the important part, I think, for us to realize um, is that that there isn't the way. 
right? Democrats aren't always right. Republicans are not always right. Libertarians are not always right. There are ways where we actually kind of have to listen to each other and we have to find ways that some, and it's, and it's okay for a Republican to go, Hey, that Dems got, that's actually a really good idea. We should do that. Oh my, but you know, you would think that the world would implode if people would actually agree with one another. Well, and I think our system's set up to supposed to, it's supposed to require that, right? In order for things to move forward. It's not a dirty word. Yeah. It's supposed to make sure that there's broad consensus on something before we go through. But the fact that it's not working, I think, I think politicians are taking the wrong, wrong lesson from that. It's like, now I just need to force it through by brute force. Well, it's very wisely set up and you've been set against other people who are trying to do the same thing. And so you're going to just have gridlock as long as you keep trying to do these power based politics. Or reducing reducing things down to only needing a simple majority ruins right. so, so much of that bipartisanship. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And and I and I think too is that you know politics is really bad about admitting failure, right? <laughs> yeah. About yep. you know, it's always it's always somebody else's fault if something didn't work, mm-hmm. rather than hey, listen, we really didn't know what to expect. We tried this. We failed. Failure, I love the acronym, F-A-I-L, you know, first opportunity in learning. Cool. Now we're going to take that because failure, and I'm going to speak Tyson's language, right? Failure is just data, right? It's just data. It's just information. Cool. Now I got now I got more information that I can make better decisions because, hey, cool, this didn't work. If we're talking about testing, if we're talking about filling potholes, I mean, you can go as high up nationally and as low down locally as you want. If you take the things that didn't go well and you use them to spiral up, but if things that you do, you know, if any failures that you have that somebody's sitting over there just waiting to pounce on you and beat you to death because you made a failure, A, it makes you fearful of admitting that you made a mistake or B, um, you're going to lie. And and that's not good for anybody. Or you're not going to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Once you... Once you take a lid off an idea, though, it, our system doesn't, it's not easy to put that lid back on, nope. right? Like once, once we open up something and said, this is the way we're doing it, and then you do realize it was a failure, it's yep. a lot more difficult to put that back, back, back in there. Yeah. I mean, and how come people, you know, when they were so angry at government, you guys botched all of this stuff with these testing? Well, you're right. We did. You know why? Because never had to do that before. this has never happened in the history of the United States. We we didn't know. Dude, we now know. So, we're taking this information. We're doing our job. I've caught so much crap from both people because, like, anytime someone brings up the COVID thing, uh, especially with businesses closing, I'm like, you know what? Like, JB Pritzker has no idea. This is not what he signed up for. He has no, no. idea what he's doing. He's not a doctor. He has no idea. He's listening oh. to people and he's doing the best he can. On the same side, uh, so I get crap, of course, from you know the the conservatives on that one. But from the liberals, like when I say when a, a, a restaurant's still open um, and, and I see them opening and I'm like, yeah, but you know what? God, if, if, if you were a week from closing and you had to make a choice, have you ever been in that situation? These aren't these aren't big cat people that have 10 houses. This is someone who's like, you know, bringing home a modest income from a business they open to feed their family. And you're telling them they can't do that for six months or a year. Like, I mean, it goes back to empathy. Like I use, I overuse that word, but I think that, that so much of our um, problems today has to do with two things. We don't have enough empathy and we don't have enough gratitude. 
And, yeah. and I mean, if you have empathy and gratitude, that's the ball game. I mean, that that's life. Right. And I mean, we all can improve on those areas um, every single day, but the empathy one in particular to our conversation, it's just, we can't, we're like, no, you're wrong. The scientists say this, you should be close. Yeah, yeah you're right. In an ideal world where, if, but when I'm not getting a check every month yeah. and I can't. And not only that, Justin, but you're also employing five other people who right. their entire livelihood is based upon your ability to keep that business open. And they have children who's coming up to Christmas and who have needs now, for school. And that being said, are there businesses that are open that can afford to be closed? that should be closed. Absolutely. Like I'm not saying people aren't taking advantage of the system. There's always going to have that, but like, I don't know that. Right. I, I, yeah. you gotta be empathetic to both sides. Yeah. Um, I saw and, a story about um, interviewing the, that Maggie Miley's closed interviewing the, um, the owner of that man, it was just heartbreaking. He had a mask on, so you couldn't see his full, full facial expression, but man, his voice was just choking up and like, that just, he's put his life into this thing. Right. It's been there for as long as I've been in, in Bloomington normal. And it's now to have that. Be, yeah. Well, yeah. I've seen people say, right. And, and I try and, you know, I try and say this on the other side too. Like, you know, these signs that were all over town one. Okay. All over. There are like six of them that I saw. Um, you know, JB Pritzker sucks the life out of a small business. Um, you want to go see more of those, go to the small towns around. Oh yeah. Them. There are plenty. <laughs> there was a lot of them. Um, <laughs> but it's, I'm like, this guy, his job as governor is to protect the citizens of Illinois. Imagine what he's trying to do. He's trying to within his, within, I mean, I didn't hear anybody going, well, you know what? We need to close down the health department. If, if, if that business owner wants to have rats in his kitchen and he can have rats in his kitchen. No, we make rules all the time to protect the health and safety and well-being of our citizens. Yeah. And, and there is an understanding that it's, it's not done at a, on a malicious nature. And I always see the thing and I've tried to get students to ask this question whenever they get pissed. And I do, I've really tried to operationalize this in my life as well. If you're mad about you know, something or somebody What's this person who I'm mad at? What was their motivation to do this? So what would J.B. Pritzker's motivation to be to hurt small businesses? That would erode the tax base, which would give him infinitely more problems. There is no reason why he would ever want any small businesses ever to close. Hell, he wants the reverse. He wants more business in the state of Illinois, not less business. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, listening to opposition, it just doesn't exist anymore. Uh, you know who I admire, um, is kind of off subject, but like, uh, Trevor Noah, if you ever watch his, his version of the daily show, he, he has people that he ideologically disagrees with on that show more often than not. Like he, he, he loves interviewing those guests and he does an amazing job of listening. Yep. Like, like, like when there's a, when there's a topic that he has come out for and disagrees with him on, he just says, why? And lets them talk and lets them listen and, and ask, like, we just don't do that. We don't, that again, that empathy part's gone. And it's, hey, I, non sequitur, uh, we're getting a little close to time here. And I had one more topic I wanted to bring up with you guys, cause I wanted to get your reaction to something that just occurred to me. It was actually fascinating. Um, I'm against it. Okay. All right. Eric, what do you say? You're for it. All right. Let's have it done. <laughs> um, so we had all this stuff about, about um, ballots being mailed. No, sorry. Applications for ballots being mailed to people, right? Um, that is not being done for municipal elections. Um, so I, I find that value judgment 
Yeah. Be very interesting that we're going to put all this time and expense and effort into developing the system where we send ballots to people to encourage them to vote in the federal election. Um, this infrastructure is now set up, right? We learned some lessons. We don't know how to do it. It should be easier this time. BC, um, they don't have funding for it. There's no mandate. There's no funding. It's, it's very fascinating. Um, I don't well, know, reactions to that. I'm not surprised. Uh, you know, they were so focused on the federal election that they, I mean, I mean, how many times does, does the ball get dropped when it comes time to municipal elections? Is oh, that, yeah. um, now I, I know it, it may, I don't even know what your guys's position on this would be. I am, I'm not, nor have I ever been a fan uh, and I think the data backs me up 100% of having, I can tell by the, I can tell, I can tell by your statement so yeah. far. I'm probably going to agree. We should not have municipal elections in April. They should be in yes. the election cycle. It's, it's just silly. It, it, you know, it gives this allure that there are more elections than, you know, and, and it always, it has always led to massively depressed turnout. Yeah, 20% um, around yeah, that territory. Yeah. I mean, we got, and I don't have to tell the two of you, but, candidates having to campaign in freaking January and February and March. Oh my God, what a horrible time to try and do that. Now you get to throw winter campaigning in with a pandemic. Go, right? Am I glad that I'm not anywhere near campaign in this next election cycle? Um, that's just, I, I don't understand why it's done. Now that doesn't change the fact of the question that you asked. Um, no, I think it's a great example of where our priorities are. Um, they're going to come around to thinking about this question and it's going to be, it's going to be in the exact wrong moment, right? It's going to be how we do everything in this country. I was, I just went on yeah. a tangent about this the other day in class. If, if everybody only made decisions during times of crisis, the outcome is almost always less than ideal, right? It, it, and it's, we, this country, much like how we are as individuals, way too much reactive rather than proactive. And, and that reactive mind says, oh man, I guess we better do something about it. You know, it's a problem right now. Attend to it in December. So it can get on January's, you know, on January's agendas so we can actually talk about it and do something before we get to an election. Somebody's going to bring it up and it's going to be too long. And then all of a sudden uh, we don't know what to do. And now we've got this massive problem. We govern in crisis all the time. And look, we create most of the crisis. That's the part that is the worst. It's just like an individual. I, you know, I was meeting with a client the other day. He was talking about Wanda, you know, back to the losing the 40 pounds. I asked a question. I said, how did you, you know, you've told me that this is an unacceptable weight for you. How did this happen? I don't know. I just, you know, just, and literally it came out just one day I kind of realized that I'm like, that's the problem. What? One day. It didn't, you didn't put on 40 pounds in one day. You put on 40 pounds over a span of four years. And if you had just pushed away from the, from the Dunkin' Donuts, <laughs> you know, two Let's years. say more negative things about Dunkin' Donuts, show. <laughs> Pod VNs, brought to you by Bloom's Coffee Bar. <laughs> just two years ago, it would have made this situation a lot better, right? I mean, do we have to have a heart attack before we realize that maybe we should take our health care, you know, you know, our health seriously? Do I have to? And that's what we're doing again. We're going to do this all over. And God, if we just don't lurch into um, economic crisis after economic crisis. I mean, we're making one right now. We're still literally arguing whether or not we're going to have a damn, um, you know, uh, relief bill. 
And, and, and everybody's like, yeah, we need one. We need one. We need one. We need one. And yet, well, we, we're, we're kind of far apart on, you know, a couple of details. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit about your details. Get it done. There are people that are suffering greatly during the holidays. Get over yourself and fix the problem. Crisis. We make our own. Uh, agreed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Everything you said. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up before, um, before I thank uh, Blooms again, I wanted to just give a uh, non-sponsor thank you to uh, Pharrell's Ferrell's Extreme Body Shaping. Um, I decided to end up doing that after we talked to Adam, and I'm on going into week nine now. Nice. Uh, week one was rough. Couldn't walk very well. Um, very, <laughs> very strenuous exercise. Adam likes to run around while he's coaching and say, this is not a pacing exercise. Go hard. Burn out. Um but man, I'm feeling really good. Lost some weight, um, running faster, more push-ups, more sit-ups, and um, it's a very cool program. Very supportive community. Um, just like a, a joy to be with. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, coronavirus is messing with that too. But we're finding a way to go through. So it's I Arctic um, in 2020, hitting a punching bag, man. It's mm-hmm. way cheaper than hitting a person. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they're, they're doing, um, gonna be starting another 10 week program fairly soon. So go check, check them out online and, um, really consider it. It's a really good, really good thing to be a part of. So. Yeah. And we are looking for more sponsors. <laughs> if, if Adam's listening, I don't know. Yeah. We'll chat with him. We'll see what's going on. All right. And, uh, and yeah, thanks again for blooms. They know what they're doing with their coffee. The, uh, Noah, he really geeks out on it. If you want to check out our previous podcast episode with him, Noah Riley, he's got all the different, like the different places they're grown in different altitudes with the flavor notes and he matches them up with the syrups and the um, right amount of milk. And he's, he's got it down to a science and you can benefit from his, uh, his nerdiness and his coffee nerdiness and go over there and have a delicious cup. And they are on Tawanda Avenue by where the post office used to be. Yeah. Uh, we, should get, and we should that. get their actual address. I well, feel like I have like this up. machine I can look it up on. Oh, okay. <laughs> Those are old listeners, the old post office used to be the Eagle grocery store. I remember I used to get free cookies from there. Nice. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, my mom would shop there and in their bakery, they always had the tray of cookies. Oh yeah. And, and they let the kids, you know, grab a cookie. And I remember when that place closed, I was probably, I don't know, I'm guessing eight. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not going to get any more free cookies, yeah. which is probably an insight into my weight problem throughout my entire life. <laughs> um, Bloom's Coffee is 1209 and a half Tawanda Avenue in Bloomington. 1209 and a half Tawanda Avenue, a small little shop right in front of the Dollar General in the old uh, Eagle grocery store or a post office. <laughs> very retro. Cool. Yeah. Uh, it was very, very fun talking to you guys. I miss getting together in person. It's very good. I also enjoy, um, I always enjoy talking to you in general, Eric, but I think the more formers that go before your titles, the more fun you get to talk to. So that's, that's cool. It. It's a little looser in the lips when he's not uh, running for anything or in charge. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Very good. All right. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the time. All right. Of course.